What's up, freaks, geeks, ladies, gents, and those of you who have yet to make up your minds? It's Cosmic Dragon Episode 3! You know, I'm pretty picky when it comes to buying books. I have to be. I'm a firefighter as well as a writer, and the budget is not that expansive. I'm pretty tight with my dollars. So when I tell you that a book snagged me so much that I laid down my hard... Okay, my lazily earned money, you know that that means something. And the book I'm talking about today is An Oath of Dogs. This was released back in July from Angry Robot Books, July 2017, for anybody listening in the future. The author is Wendy N. Wagner. Let me tell you about Wendy. She grew up in a town on the Oregon coast, a place so small, it had no grocery store and no television reception. So when the bookmobile came every two weeks, the whole town gathered to explore its latest offerings. Books were Wendy's lifeline, her window into the outside world, and soon, books became an obsession. Wendy's short fiction has appeared in more than 30 anthologies and magazines, and she has written tie-in fiction for the award-winning Pathfinder role-playing game, including two novels. So, an oath of dogs here is technically her third novel, but because this podcast is about debuts and it's from her own mind and not a previously owned property, we're going to call it a debut. As well as writing, Wendy is also the managing slash associate editor of Lightspeed and Nightmare magazines, who have rejected me millions of times. She lives in Portland, Oregon, with her very understanding family, and you can follow her exploits at www.winniewoohoo.com. Let me spell that for you. It's W-I-N-N-I-E-W-O-O-H-O-O. Winnie Woohoo. And this is our interview. All right, Wendy, thank you so much for being with me on Cosmic Dragon. I'm excited to be here. I had almost forgotten that it was called Cosmic Dragon, which I think is just like the most epic name ever. So great. Well, thank you. You know, I, it was going to be called Space Dragon, but then I said, you know what, let me do some research, just like I do for book titles. I said, let me see if there's anything else out there called, and sure enough, there was. I was like, man, so I was like, ooh, Cosmic Dragon. Even cooler. Right. It could have been Galactic Dragon or Universe. I was like, you know what, Cosmic Dragon sounds good. So yeah, thanks so much for being uh, with me today. Um, I know you're, technically, you didn't debut with An Oath of Dogs uh, because you'd written books, tie-in books for the Pathfinder series. Right, yeah. I, I, I'm sitting here nodding and then realizing, oh, no one no one can see me nod, you know. <laughs> but this is my first uh, original title, um, so it's kind of like debut. Right, it's a, it's the, a completely all the, different... All the fireworks of a debut, but I got to practice a little of my authorial skills first. Right. And you know, sometimes I think, because I've never done it, but I would think it, it would be harder uh, to write a tie-in novel in a world that's already been created because you you can't really stray outside of their box. Did did you feel that same way? It's definitely, um, it's hard in some ways and easier in others. Um, One of the things that makes it easier is that you have this whole crew of game developers and editors and people like that, and uh, they're always there to help you. So if you have like a, a 
total lapse in you can't think of how to fix something in the story, you can say, well, what do you guys think? And they're excited to pitch in and they're all used to working together. So it's fun because you're part of a team. But yeah, on the other hand, you are a lot more limited and you have to be very careful not to break any parts of the game for anybody else. And so there's a definitely a feeling sometimes like parts of your imagination have to be uh restrained and like a little locked box right and with an oath of dogs it was it was just you it was yep. it was you had no one to say hey how oh wait it's just me <laughs> <laughs> so, i gotta tell you yeah i mean angry robot is my favorite publisher um has been for years uh they're really great they're awesome. Uh, I, and I'm a big paperback fan. Uh, you know, who has $30 all the time to buy hardbacks? But uh, the thing that really drew me to your book, honestly, is the cover. Uh, and is I've got my copy. Awesome? It's fantastic. I've got, you know, forget the Internet. I, I've got my physical copy here in front of me. Um, and when I saw it, I was like, oh, wow, the colors are fantastic. Uh, and when I saw... Uh, the woman there in the in the mech uh, lumber cutting it reminded me of Ripley from the Alien series. Exactly. Yeah, I love the way the artist. Um, you know, the the saw mechs don't get talked about a lot in the book, um, and we were kind of trying to figure out like how you could make a lumber town look science fictional and I, I just said, Well, you know, there are they do use these mechs to cut lumber and uh they gave that idea to the cover artist. Just, you know, one kind of tossed off brainstorming moment and he took it in a great direction. <laughs> and ran with it. Well it worked yeah. on me. Because I was like, yeah, sold. Take my money. <laughs> Uh, and me too, because I am like I love the Alien movies so much, and I've watched all of them many, 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 many times. And Ripley is probably my all-time biggest like TV show, like you know, movie hero. Like she's so cool, so it made me yeah, really happy to see her. <laughs> I bet you're geeking out. Uh, and then you got the 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 dogs, of course, on the cover as well. Um, yeah. So. And that was Joey Hi-Fi, wasn't it, who did your cover? Yeah. Yeah, oh, cool. uh, it was kind of funny. Uh, they gave me, like, a little questionnaire about, you know, what kind of covers I liked. And every it turned out that every cover that I sent them, I said, well, I like the look of this book. I like the book of this book. All of them, it turned out, were books that Joey Hi-Fi had designed. Uh, oh, wow. So it, apparently it turns out that Joey Hi-Fi is my dream book cover designer. Awesome. He does good work. Uh, so, as far as g getting to this point, because you'd written the Pathfinder tie-ins, uh, how did An Oath of Dogs come to be, and how how did you come uh, to Angry Robot? Uh, did, are you represented by an agent, or did you pitch it yourself? Yeah, I have an agent now. Um, the, the story of the book, it took kind of a long time to get written, because, of course, my first idea for it, I thought it was going to be a short story, and... Um, it, it came right as I was getting approval to write my first Pathfinder book. So I kind of jotted down this idea, and I'm like, well, when I get a chance, i got to get back to this idea. And so every time I had a break in my Pathfinder work, I'd kind of go and poke this idea with a stick. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I did uh, 
the two books for them and, and some short stories. And um, so it made for a long time of just poking it with a stick. And so I was really glad when I finally got to just sit down and, and really get that book written. But it took forever since I was working it into these other projects. Um, and then once I got it done, then I, I queried a couple of agents. And um, uh, my agent is uh, Evan Gregory with the Ethan Ellensburg Agency. And he's uh, he gave me a call. He's like, I'm really excited about this project. And um, yeah. It was uh, pretty great to find somebody who who dug it as much as me. Awesome. Yeah, Ethan has some some very hilarious tweets on <laughs> on Twitter. If anybody out there follows him, um, and he his agency also represents John Scalzi. For anybody who didn't know that, uh, what what was the uh, editing process like for you? Once you you got it sold, you you jumped in. Uh, Angry Robot said, "Yes, we want an oath of dogs." Yeah, uh, it was pretty painless actually. Uh, it was a little bit weird because uh, my book got picked up by you know their acquiring editor went on sabbatical right after he bought my book, so they had to find somebody else to edit it. And so I was sort of like on tenterhooks, like, "What's going to happen to my book? Will the next person like it?" Um, but anyway, so they brought on this great guy. Uh, his first name is Simon, but I forget his last name. And he was just this terrific, nice fellow who actually we didn't have very many changes at all. And uh, the best thing of all was in his letter to me, uh, you know, he sent me the, the, you know, a few comments. And he says, everything's, you know, most things are in the line notes. And um, I just want you to know, I thought this was a cracking book. It was just so cute and British. Cracking book. I felt like Wallace and Gromit were editing my novel. I loved it. If I could meet that guy, I would like buy him a beer and some cheese and you know a stuffed Wallace cheese. and Gromit. I was just about to to make a Wallace and Gromit <laughs> quote about cheese. Cheese. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome uh, dealing with uh, people across the pond uh, to work on your stuff, um, and and you start picking up their own. Uh, nuances in the lingo and stuff. It, it's fun. And, um, it really is. I'm still thinking about cheese from <laughs> <laughs> well, Wallace and Gromit. Uh, yeah, so for me, the editing process was extremely non-painful um, because Simon was so supportive and helpful and we really didn't wind up making... We, like There were no structural changes or anything. Um, just a few kind of minor things we tried to put in a little bit more detail to kind of help you see the differences between more like sciencey kind of differences you know talking about making sure we talked about gravity and and things like that so and and the calendar try to help people get a, a better sense of that this wasn't just kind of like a earth calendar and and things like that because uh the planet is very much in many important ways a lot like our own planet so playing up the differences was important to kind of make it more believable and how do you pronounce that because in my mind i, I it was either huggin or hugan and I, I kept going back and forth uh, it's uh, when a, i was reading hugan um Hugin. yeah uh, so Everything in that solar system is named for Norse mythology. So, uh, 
it's a moon, it's a satellite planet, basically, that orbits around a giant planet called Woden, and it has a companion little moon called Munin, and Hugin and Munin are the two ravens that sit on Odin's shoulders. Well, that makes a ton of sense now that you <laughs> explained it. Okay. <laughs> wow. I personally think that it makes more sense to only have one N on Hugin and Munin, but a friend of mine explain that no traditionally in north of mythology they always have the two ends on the end and and it's only in the marvel comics where um hugin and munin have one end so i better stay far away from the one end spelling right <laughs> keep it traditional that's Very right good. so this is uh, science fiction but it's also a murder mystery yeah and you yeah you the and i hope i'm not going to spoil anything but anybody can read the first chapter on uh, amazon or at the bookstore uh, but you start from the perspective, or the POV, of the victim. Yeah, I, that's kind of a traditional beginning in a lot of thrillers and mystery novels. So I thought that kind of captured that feeling that you're reading a thriller novel um, right away. Um, and I'm a huge fan of mystery and thriller novels. I can digest them very, very quickly. So it was really fun for me to get to write one, but to do it in outer space. Right, make it your own thing. Yeah. Uh, Lawrence Block is one of my favorites. I can read pretty much anything that guy writes. I have to admit, I haven't read anything by him. I'm going to write no. oh, you go. Oh, yeah, Lawrence Block. You, y'all, you've got to check him out. Um, he He's written... Um, they They made a movie based on one of his uh, Matthew Scudder novels uh, called oh. A Walk Among the Tombstones with Liam Neeson. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, yeah, that was based on, on one of his. Yeah, I would check out uh, and Hitman. Uh, his Hitman novels are awesome. Yeah, check him out, Lawrence Block. Awesome. Uh, yes. And I got to tell you this, and when I say this, it may not sound... Uh, very quick, but for me, it's very quick. Uh, but I read this book in a week. Okay. And I know people can read stuff in like a day. But no, for me, that is fast. So <laughs> it definitely has the pacing and the, the intrigue and, and, you know, the mystery or Standish is trying to uh, to figure out uh, who killed her boss and what's going on on Hugin. Did I say it right? Hugin. Hugin. So Hugin. There we go. I'll get it. Uh, and I really appreciate your style because I know a lot of, especially a lot of new books and maybe I just don't read that many new books, but your style is so engaging. Uh, it it doesn't, yeah, it's, it's not, it doesn't come across as pretentious or like, you know, purpley and all that kind of stuff. It it, it really just, it, it's, it snags you and, and, and that's not to say that, you know, that you don't have some awesome sentences and, 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 beautiful prose as they say but it's just it's just done in in such a way to where you know a reader can really be taken by the story and not have to come across a a word they don't know and i'm I'm actually reading story genius by uh lisa cron oh i uh haven't read that one but i like lisa's like some of the things she she said yeah and wired for stories was another one she wrote but yeah and and i'm kind of by her and I'm looking back on on things I've read and what I'm reading. I'm like, oh, okay, that's why that's why it works, you know. <laughs> well, so, that is so nice to hear. Thank you. No problem. Uh, this is a show that's primarily 
uh, directed uh, to and for up-and-coming writers. Uh, sure. Describing the debut process and, and everything. You are also an editor, an associate editor for Lightspeed and Nightmare Magazine. That's right. Did you notice anything different in in being a writer versus an editor? What, for you, did you learn from one and then the other? Well, for me, first of all, being an editor is great because um, we tend to focus on the gatekeeping aspects of editing, um, which is an important part of my job. When we're open for submissions, I read a lot of slush. But um, our biggest job is just to be big, big fans of great story. So when we do pick up a great story that we decide to buy, it's my job to advocate for that story as best I can and to be its biggest fan possible. So when I'm working with an with an author on edit, you know, I'm always trying to see what they're doing in the best possible light. And it's never about nitpicking. It's just trying to make the story be the best story it can be and to try to do it uh, to try to look at it like from what I think the author is trying to do and trying to dig into their intention and trying to see through the layers to what the story really means. And um, and so coming from being an editor has given me a chance to to see story from this like incredibly positive light where I feel like sometimes as a writer, you know, you're slogging along and you're like, oh my gosh, this is crap, this is crap, this is crap. Or you write a, you write a chapter and you get done and you're like, for a moment, you're like, I'm a genius, everything came together. And then you reread it and you're like, no, it doesn't make any sense. And yeah. And you, you wrestle with, you know, the details so much. And um, sometimes for me, it's really empowering to come back, like, and try to look at my own work the way I would look at a story that I was editing for the magazines and be like, well, what did I mean to do? And what did I do that was good? And just to kind of take this, this more generous stance to try to make the best of things. And I feel like that has um, made me much better at revising my own work. And it's also helped me kind of get to the bones of, of the matter and make sure that things are coming together. You know, you get those plot holes when you're writing, when you're so excited about putting in these neato details and the exciting action scenes and stuff like that. Sometimes you can make a really cool exterior for a story, but uh, not necessarily have sound bones in a scene or something. And so asking myself these higher level questions of what do I mean? What's the best I can do and things like that. It allows me to kind of look over the piece without being super judgmental and without being so caught up in the neato and the spiffies and kind of just get to the the deeper matters at the heart of the work and fix them up neatly. I keep telling people that the, the best way to learn how to get better at writing besides everything else is... Uh, to read slush, uh, really I read slush great. for oh man, <clears throat> and many other people have said the same thing. I know 
people might ask editors all the time, well, what, what, what are you looking for, for? Well, when you read a bunch of slush, at least in my opinion, you read a bunch of slush, and everything that comes in is just like, ugh. And you keep going through all this, you know, there's slush, and then there's crap. And you're waiting through all this crap, and then finally you get a story, you're like, oh, thank you, God. You know, it's just kind of, it's not something that you can really explain. And I, I know one good thing about uh, Lightspeed and Nightmare is that if you're going to get rejected, it's going to be within two days at least, which <laughs> I know a lot of writers appreciate. You know, at least you get a quick answer. You're not sitting there for months. Yeah, um, that has always been like one of the best things about uh, Lightspeed and Clark's World is that quick, quick turnover. When if you're not being strung along, it hurts a lot less. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, oh, okay, cool. That, that's fine. Let me, let me look at it again and then send it back out. So An Oath of Dogs, the main character is Kate Standish. And one thing I, I do I do like uh, what you do in the book, and I caught it, is that sometimes she, most people, she tells them to call her Standish. Yeah. And the people she likes, they can call her Kate. Yes. And she comes to Hugan. Ha! I got it right. Um, did. Yeah, with uh, her service dog Hattie, and what w- w- a lot of people don't know much about service dogs, or at least I guess most people's understanding of what a service dog is is usually for uh, people who are seeing impaired or, or other things like that. That's the, that's the typical view, but service dogs are for all kinds of people. Uh, that's and right. so what? Yeah, what? What experience do you have uh, with service dogs or research that you did, and why did you want to put it in this in this book? Well, you know, as a very young child, I lived on a ranch, and we had a lot of dogs, but they were all working dogs. They weren't like the kind of pet dogs that would live in your house and, and things like that. Um, and so... I kind of grew up with a different outlook on, on dogs um, and then I think a lot of people do because the dogs I knew were all working dogs. Um, and the main, the original seed for an oath of dogs was actually started with the other kinds of dogs that are in the book who are real troublemakers. Um, and I got to thinking a lot about, we have a lot of different kinds of relationships with dogs. Um, most people in the United States only know about pets or maybe, you know, they, they see like a police dog or something. But in many parts of the world, you know, for example, in uh, there's that movie, A Cry in the Dark with Meryl Streep where the dingoes ate her baby. Um, well, dingoes <laughs> yeah. and wild dogs are very, you know, they, they kind of often travel together in, in packs, I think, in, in Australia. Wild dogs are a huge issue over there, um, yes. you know, where they... They cause all kinds of trouble and will actually eat your baby <laughs> as well as all your livestock and things like that. And, um, you know, in places like Africa, even in biblical times, there was a lot of issue with dogs would dig up the dead and, and eat them. Uh, so we, ha- we have this history of mixed relationships with dogs where there are troublemaking dogs that dig us up and eat us. And then you have dogs that are our friends and then you have dogs like service dogs um who are tremendously helpful and uh i had a friend uh when i was working on this book who helped me actually as a one of my beta readers and she had a dog who was critical to her mental health and so i had decided early on in the writing process that i needed to 
to really dig into the nature of dogs, I had to have somebody come to this planet who had to have a dog, um, which when I thought about it, it seemed like a service dog was the only kind of dog you would really have to have. And thinking about different kinds of service dogs led me to thinking about mental health dogs, which I think are absolutely wonderful assistance. <laughs> and actually, it was really great because um, Angry Robot did a pre-order campaign where um, a dollar from every pre-ordered book, if you emailed that you pre-ordered it, if you emailed the company, they would donate a dollar to this um, service dog organization that helps um, uh, veterans with PTSD. Yeah, uh, so, I saw that. Yeah, I, I just thought that was like really, really awesome of Angry Robot to just get how awesome <laughs> service dogs are. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it went, it fit well with the the plot of the book and and the and the thing or that it worked out very well. I'm very happy that they did that. And kudos yeah. to whoever who was that, whoever was that your idea or was that their idea? No, that was Penny actually. Okay. Go Penny. That's a great Penny is I the mean, publicist at Angry Robot and she has terrific. Yes. So I know you and I know that, but for everybody else listening, uh Penny Reeve does fantastic work. Um and you know, and I know her main job is publicity and, and you know, in a way that is publicity, but it overall it's you know, it's doing good work as well. Um yeah. so that's fantastic. And uh, you brought up about Australia and the dingoes. And I, I lived in Australia uh, for a, oh, wow. a short time. And uh, that's very true. I lived in uh, Al- Alice Springs, which is just south of uh, Ayers Rock. I never met any yeah. dingoes. But when my dad took us out camping, I mean, there were kangaroos hopping around and wild mustangs. Oh. I mean, no fences. They were just hanging out. I mean, that's their that's their territory. We were just visiting. And I was like, Ey. scorpions wow. and all kinds of cool stuff. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, but no dingoes. I didn't see any dingoes or, or crocodiles. Probably. It's good that you bring up dogs too. You know, and I was thinking uh, in in my debut, Smoke Eaters. Uh, I, I have a little part talking about uh, dogs and what what happened to them in this world because uh, in my world, dragons have risen up from the ground. Uh, cool. And started wreaking havoc. Yeah, and uh, all the dogs just take off because they they know that something's up. Uh, right before the dragons get there, and they just disappear. And you hear urban legends about dogs sneaking into open windows and dragging kids out of their beds and stuff. And Ooh, and now everybody, cool. if, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, and now everybody, if they want a pet, has to get a, a robot dog. Or <laughs> yeah, the cat stuck around. And in the book, I say it's probably because they want to see uh, the demise of the human species, and then put in a bid <laughs> to take over as the new dominant. Uh, if any species could boss everybody around, it would be cats. <laughs> yes, and I actually hear a dog barking right now. Calm down. I'm gonna have to leave that in because that actually worked <laughs> very well. I have a dog barking in the in the background. Kind of perfect. Yeah. Okay, so an oath of dogs is available now. It came out back in July. It's available everywhere in paperback, Kindle, Google Books, whatever you want. Uh, before we go, Wendy. Mm-hmm. What advice uh, would you give to the listeners uh, who are trying to break into traditional publishing, either something that you've always held or something that you learned along the way, uh, or that you know something that maybe you wished somebody had told you? Well, I think uh, you know if you want to break in and get into this business, 
um, it, it can be really hard, I, especially when you're sending your stuff out in the world and you're getting a lot of rejections because it happens to just about everybody unless you're John Scalvey. Um, but it's just, uh, just keep remembering that the most important thing is to find some people who are going to believe in your work. And whether that means that you write a few short stories and find an editor that really likes your stuff, that believes that you can do stuff, or it might just be a handful of good friends who really like your work, things like that. But um, get yourself some people that think you're a great writer for those times when you don't feel like you're a good writer because they'll happen. Um, and and just give yourself the power to believe in them believing in you. It Fantastic really helps. advice. You know, and, and one thing I tell people, too, is that the writers in general are just some of the most gracious and uh, warm and welcoming people out there. I mean, you might run into a few who don't give you the time of day, but a lot of them are just cool, especially with today you have the internet and Facebook and, you know, I, I've been friends with uh, Jason Huff and uh, Casey Alexander who lives up, uh, kind of near you uh, around yeah. the Seattle area. They've, they've been awesome to me since before I even had a shot. Uh, so there's, there's plenty of, and others uh, who I can't even think of at the moment, but the yeah, that's what I tell people is that don't be afraid to network. Um, that is for sure. If, yeah. if, uh, if you go to a convention and you go to the bar and you're willing to buy some French fries, you can probably secure yourself some writing friends for life. Hey, I'm going to write that down because, hey, French fries are cheaper <laughs> than, than beer or scotch. Yeah, that's right. Can, Not everybody drinks, but, but almost everybody can be lured in by a French fry. Damn right. Speaking of cons, uh, are you going to be at any cons that uh, your fans and listeners out there uh, could come get the The only book signed? con that's coming up that I knew I'm going to be at, I just did Rose City Comic Con, but nothing big until uh, November. I'll be at Oricon here in Portland. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for joining me on Cosmic Dragon. Uh, again, Thanks for having her, me. Yeah, Angry Robot published her book back in July, An Oath of Dogs. Pick it up today. I'm Sean Grigsby. Hey, thanks so much for listening. This was Cosmic Dragon Episode 3. Hey, I don't know how you're listening to this, but it would be totally awesome if you were to subscribe to this podcast right now. They should have a button around there somewhere on your screen. You, you found it? Yeah, that, that one right there. Yeah, go ahead and click it. Cool. And if you would like to find out more about me, you can visit my website at www seangrigsby.com. Let me spell that for you. It's S-E-A-N-G-R-I-G-S-B-Y. You can also follow me on Twitter at Sean Grigsby. And I also have an author page on Facebook. I have some ginormous news to about to drop any day now within the next few days. Depending on when you're listening to this, it might already be out. So hopefully I can talk about it next episode. But until then, don't take any crap from your robot dog.